Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for having me, and uh, peace to all those who have been sounding my voice. 
My name is Haiki Kamafi Mashoki. Coming with African awareness, and you know, of course, my thing is all about institution building. But let me tell you something, Brother Africa. I, I got to tell you, one of the real problems that we're confronted with the society is the African people. Uh, it's a whole question around capitalism and nationalism. Now, capitalism and nationalism makes for a, 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 a toxic mix, and so. We got on one hand an economy which is dominated supposed to survive over people, and then we got a people who are conditioned to believe that by virtue of skin color, and it uh, it requires them to uh, kill those who don't have that skin color. So we got this toxic mix. But anyway, I was thinking about I was thinking about this. I wrote this. Now check this out. Now the national debt officially is twenty four trillion dollars. Unofficially, thirty two trillion dollars. Federal budget is currently four point seven trillion dollars. Debt is compounded by the fact that U.S. is expected to bring in only $3.6 trillion in revenue, and that's which is only an estimate. This deficit is informed by the fact that debt-to-GDP ratio stands currently at 105%. This number suggests the ability of the U.S. to pay its debt is impossible and, and continuing to borrow, be it stimulus or otherwise, contributes to a more precarious economy. This one, the one redeeming quality is low interest rate, which uh, which drastically uh, reduces the value of the stimulus loans, thereby postponing paying higher dividends to the wealthy who will purchase government bonds in the future. Now, the deficit spending or spending money that you don't have would not be problematic for most nations, particularly nations that put human life over profit. But in capitalism, profit is sacrosanct, and everything that undermines capitalist ability to make money is not allowed. So why the continuing uh, trade war with China? After 48 years of economic trade, right-wing capitalists are now advocating abolishing all trade with China. I suspect much of the sentiment flows from China's unwillingness to capitulate to an imperialist policy that seeks to make China a vessel for U.S. domination. Perhaps a bigger right-wing rationale may be the realization China economy has exceeded the U.S. and controlling its growth is paramount, even if that means sacrificing profit. How else could you explain the following? One, they're talking about actually uh, uh, banning all uh, imports, uh, particularly when we talk about electronics. Now, the thing is interesting to note, when we talk about electronics, things like computers, televisions, even car parts or parts for uh, military weaponry, comes from China. So if you ban that, fundamentally you undermine the economy. So the question becomes, why would the capitalists do such a thing? Secondly, China is the third largest export market for the U.S. Now, think about that. So when we talk about things like agriculture, pork, soybeans, China is a very big market for the United States. So to abandon that market fundamentally means that the farmers who are currently uh, being paid not to grow, not to grow food uh, will be in a situation where they, they, they have to grow even less, which means that in terms of compensating the farmers for food that's not grown, the $30 billion they allocate you know, for uh, subsidizing these farmers, they can be considerably more because what they're essentially saying is that all exchange when it comes to agriculture, pork, and soybeans will be terminated. So it's absurd. So it clearly undermines the economy. So the question is, what are they doing? Thirdly, China is the largest producer of treasury, sec uh, treasury sec securities. Now, interesting enough, if China liquidates its $1.2 trillion in treasury holdings, the move will compel the U.S. to offer more to purchase these same securities. Now, this would slow the economic growth even further. So we talk about economy that's in a country that's economy that's in decline. We're talking about in terms of undermining what little will uh, uh, what little effectiveness they have in terms of uh, uh, when it comes to investing in the in the, in the, in, the, in, the, in the economy. So clearly, you know, there's a problem in terms of you know what is really motivation in terms of what they're doing. So it has something to do with economics. There's something going on. 
But the question becomes, so why is this? Why is this relevant to the African community? Well, it's relevant to the African community because when we talk about the kind of desolation employed by the imperialists, we've got to understand one thing, that with this, with this desperation comes all kinds of strategies and tactics, strategies and tactics which, to a large extent, continues to facilitate the decline of the economy. So they understand that once the economy, as the economy falls, that they're going to need scapegoats, scapegoats convenient. Of course, one of the, the tactics is to divide and conquer, whether it be ethnicity, whether it be gender, whether it be sexuality. So clearly it divides ways in terms of dividing people, but the, but the thing that brings all that together, the glue that holds it all together, is the ability to stereotype. And so people have to understand when we talk about stereotype, and we talk about, in particular when we talk about scapegoating people, then African people have to be, understand very, very clearly that when it comes to stereotyping, when it comes to scapegoating, who's the number one target in terms of that? So the whole bottom line is in order for the capitalists to keep it together, they have to scapegoat, which means that the kind of uh, anger, the kind of atrocities directed toward African people would only grow. So when we look at the large number of police killings here recently that happened in this country, it pairs in comparison to what's coming in the future. So clearly we got some problems. And without institutions, Brother Africa, without somewhere in terms of measuring what's going on, to actually think about what's going on, then we run the risk of genocide being uh, perpetrated against our people. So we got our work cut out for us. And so I encourage people to get about the business of building those institutions. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Next we'll go to Brother Afton. Brother Afton, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, G.C., Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Finally, Brother Anthony, we now bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. Greetings to the panelists. And my name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses, and welcome again. Next, we're bringing Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, welcome to Africa on the Move. Revolutionary greetings, Brother Africa, and revolutionary greetings to the fellow uh, panelists uh, on the show. My name is Brother Maurice. I am a worker, uh, organizer for the uh, PRC Pan-African Revolutionary Socialists for having me here again today. Thank you, Brother Maurice. Panelists, I'd like to just take a few minutes to acknowledge and say Happy Mother Day to all of the mothers throughout the world. I'd like to say Happy Mother Day to all the women who have taken upon the roles as mothers and who continue to nurture and cultivate um, the youth to be a better human being. Happy Mother Day to you all. And you deserve not only have one day, every day should be a happy Mother Day because you are very important to the well-being and development of any society. 
so heal the African move. We will acknowledge you, 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 our appreciation for you and how important you are to all mankind. So happy Mother's Day. Panelists, for good and father, would each one of y'all like to make a statement, something to the mothers of the world? Side with you, Brother Haki. Yeah, let me let me just say to all the mothers in the world, you know, how blessed humanity is to have, you know, women, you know, in, 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 in the world. Because I'm telling you, without the world, there'd be no without women in the world, there'd be no semblance of sanity whatsoever in the world. Uh, clearly, when we talk about in terms of uh, uh, inadequacy as it relates to to to, uh, to male leadership in this world, clearly we can stand to benefit greatly from leadership of women in the world. That is not to say that you don't have women who emulate uh, uh, men value systems, and of course that does exist. But in terms of more organically speaking, the women's ability in terms of empathizing, ability to sympathize, ability to understand, you know, justice and why it's important. It's something that's endemic to so many women, and so therefore, women uh, are a great contribution, a great attribution, uh, attribute um, to all of humanity. So we 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 love women, we respect women, women, and uh, without women, it'd be a doggy dog world. So we owe a great gratitude, great a great gratitude to women throughout the world. Brother Anthony, yes, I'd like to extend uh, Happy Mother's Day greetings. To all the mothers in the listening audience, and um, and 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 e- even to those women who uh, who, who play mo- mothering or nurturing roles, whether whether the, whether it's for their uh, uh, the, the, uh, their biological children or other sectors of the community, uh, women have made uh, have made and continue to make. A valuable, valuable contributions to to the advancement of humanity and to society, and have played major leadership roles in our struggle for liberation. Brother Anthony, I mean Brother Moses. Yeah, um, I like the the. Um, Say thank you to all the mothers of the world. Uh, um, certainly, without their nurturing and their guidance, um, that would this world would be in a lot worse shape than we're in. And so it's to the mothers first and foremost that we learn. Um, it's, it's as they, they say, it's the mother's baby and daddy's baby, and uh, and uh, we we know for sure about mothers, and uh, we are raised by by mothers, and uh, and if some of us are fortunate enough to have fathers in our house, but um, we live in a capitalist society, and, and this 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 decaying capitalism and money uh, has turned this commodity society into. Uh, alienation and um, less family structure. But I I thank goodness for mothers, and I, I say greetings to all the mothers of the world. Thank you. Cousin Maurice? Yes, I would like to uh, say happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers and, and women in the world. And uh, I would like to express that Mother's Day it should be every day. Um, as Malcolm once stated, the uh, most oppressed person in the in the world is, is the black woman so uh, um, I just want to say uh, you know, not only Mother's Day but we got to not only say Mother's Day but also this um, 
important to us to show it in our actions every day to our, to our sisters and mothers and grandmothers. So happy Mother's Day every day. And we like to say happy Mother's Day to the greatest mother of them all, that Mother Africa, the mother of humanity. And right now we're going to play this song in honor to all of the mothers of the world. And we're going to ask you, no matter how hard it may seem, you're going to make it, and we want you to keep your head up.
Uh, they did things that was uh, corrupt. They did things that was um, intolerable. They did things that weren't right, that didn't benefit the masses of, of their people. And as a consequence, when the colonials came to Africa, there was no one to stand to defend the system because the system had become so corrupt that the colonials had a free reign in terms of just going in and just pretty much doing pretty much what they want to do in terms of colonizing the society. So it seems to me that um, a lot of these politicians, you know, uh, don't, still don't get that point. Uh, they, should, they continue to create conditions where it ensures that the colonials can continue to come in and set up shop, and there's no resistance, simply because people are so alienated, they're so frustrated by the current political arrangement that they could care less. So that's something that fundamentally has to change. And, and, and last about Africa, when you think about all the, all the revolutionaries who come out of, out of, uh, out of, uh, you know, out of Africa, uh, specifically West Africa, you know, Sekatoure of Guinea, you know, Kwame Nkrumah, Ghana, you know, Zikwe, Nigeria, uh, Ahmed Dubamba, Senegal, uh, Amir Cabral, Guinea, Basal, uh, to Thomas, uh, Thomas Satara, out of Bikini Faso. You think of all these great leaders who resisted the kind of corruption, the kind of temptation that the West offered, only to be, uh, to, 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 only to, to see a future in which uh, so many of these same people who pledged their allegiance in terms of revolution will turn around selling themselves out for, for, for material gain. So clearly this has to stop. But it's at least good to see that somebody in the parliament in Nigeria standing up and saying, listen, enough is enough, and it has to come to a halt. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Jason, go with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world in the community? Okay. Uh, several things, uh, Brother Africa. Um, first, to, to, start with, to start off with, um, next week, uh, we'll, there will be a series of programs leading up to African Liberation Day, Palestine, not by day, uh, being organized by the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, and the National Council of Arab Americans and uh, other uh, organizations. Uh, uh, the theme is under under the banner of not yet Uhuru, not yet freedom, not yet liberation, in combat with women's and youth oppression, imperialism, colonialism, neocolonialism, settler colonialism, and Zionism worldwide. Uh, this will culminate May 23rd uh, from 12 noon to 3 p.m. And it will be available on uh, on um, uh, Africa on the Move Block Talk Radio Show, and uh, people can uh, uh, can uh, uh, li- listen in or call in in order to uh, in order to uh, participate in the program. We will have representatives from various progressive and revolutionary. Organizations throughout the world, uh, such as the uh, uh, the Pan Africanist Congress of Azania, the All African People's Revolutionary Party (GC), uh, uh, National Council of Arab Americans, uh, representatives from uh, Friends of the Congo, and uh, numerous other organizations and uh, individuals. Uh, please visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org or call us at 
646-4896 for more information. And also, um, uh, let's see, the two Europeans that assassinated uh, the brother that was uh, uh, Brother um, Ahmad Arbery uh, were were arrested uh, last week for the for the uh, for the assassination of this brother that was jogging uh, through a predominantly uh, European uh, neighborhood near Brunswick, Georgia. Uh, so, uh, that, and, um, uh, let's see, there is, uh, uh, there is a t- continuing efforts to blame, uh, to put the blame, uh, for, for, for the, for the cause of the coronavirus on China by the, uh, you know, U.S. government. Okay, thank you, Brother Anthony. Next we'll go with Brother Moses. Brother Moses. What's going on in your world in the community? Certainly, we want to echo uh, what Brother um, just said about about the brother in Georgia. I mean, I, yeah, um, a Georgia who was killed by these vigilantes uh, who who take it upon themselves, just like um, in the Trayvon Martin case, uh, to just police and keep black people in their place. Uh, and so we have another dead brother. Um, and I just want to say, you know, the Trump Trumps um, has been after China for a long time. When the when the virus came up, it just gave him an excuse to shut down trade 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 with China, shut down China. Um, That's just a knee jerk reaction to the to uh, the virus. Is giving him an excuse to attack China, and so I don't I don't count that as as if he was really concerned about the American people and all of this. Uh, I don't buy that. I think it's just his, more of his chauvinism. Um, it's been an interesting week. I I I don't know what else to say at this point. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses and Brother Maurice. What's going on in your world in the community? Yes, yes, brother. A lot is going on in our world, but I would focus more specifically on what's going on here in, in, in our home, uh, not of uh, Virginia, present-day home of Virginia. Uh, present-day slavery is taking place in Virginia. We have inmates um, in jail producing uh, mass quality of, of masks, of face masks, to protect people from the coronavirus. And just to read briefly from this article, uh, sourced by the Richmond Times Dispatch, uh, it stated in, in the last two months, half a million face masks were manufactured by a handful of offenders for use by 30,000 inmates, thousands of correction officers, and other staff of the Virginia Department of Corrections. At $6.26 a dozen, the face guards has also been purchased by dozens of state agencies Local governments and jail and jails thus far generated more than two hundred two hundred ten thousand dollars in sales, according to the Virginia Correctional Enterprise. This is a company that pays the inmates now fifty five cents to eighty cents an hour for the work. Um, okay, the Virginia the Virginia Correctional Enterprise uh, inmate employees also manufacture other types of protective clothing 
and cleaning supplies used to help curb the spread of the coronavirus. Um, now, this one inmate, one brother, Shamar Wiggins, uh, 23 years old, he wrote and uh, he wrote uh, a letter to the Richmond Times Dispatch. Well, email a letter to the Richmond Times Dispatch explaining his uh, present-day conditions or the you know the realities that he's dealing with um, on the inside of the jail. He quote stated, he says, "My co-workers and me have been making sneeze and cough guards." face mask for the Department of Corrections going on seven weeks and counting. On various occasions, we worked 12 hours, 10 hours, 9 hours for 13 days straight and 12 days straight. He stated, uh, we get up in the morning for count, get get rusted, uh, eat breakfast, and then go straight to work. Get work hard all day and then get rushed back to the building and still don't eat at the proper time. And uh, he said, we are trying to do law-abiding citizen um, humanitarian work. Now, now, hold that hold that thought right quick with the term humanitarian, humanity, humanism, being a human being, right? Hold that thought. With, hold, please bookmark that right now. Now, Wiggins himself, he stated that he makes 80 cents. Listen to me now, 80 cents an hour. Um, does not believe the inmates are being treated fairly or safely. We do, we do what we do to help our fellow inmates. Some uh, BCE staff, Virginia Correctional uh, staff, do what they do to help make the company look good, he contends. He complained that as long as MHC catches the virus, the correctional facility will have to keep making masks. The only question we, ha- he, we have is when, on, when or will the virus get into the, this facility. He's, he's worried about his safety. He asked if the virus get into the, to the shop where they make the mask, who would then make the mask if they get sick? The whole situation is taking a toll on some of us mentally, especially with the new amendment the governor passed in Virginia, which ne- which would not make a big enough impact to complain. Uh, just to summarize real briefly, and we talk about this term, term uh, he, 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 he used it as humanitarian, basically humanism. Uh, as, as a student of Akumaism, Akumaism is a philosophy based off the teachings and readings and off the work that the uh, first president of Ghana, Asaji Fokami and Kuma. Uh, this, this is what the this is what we study. Now three three of these principles, traditional African principles included in this philosophy is humanism, treating people the way you like to be treated, collectivism, working in the group for the benefit of all, egalitarianism, giving each uh, whether female or elder, young or disabled, an equal opportunity to develop to develop at his or to his or her fullest. Now, Mr. Brother Wiggins, Brother Shamar Wiggins, do not have that opportunity to develop to his or her fellows living in a capitalist society. Now, he is working as a producer in the jail, producing all of these masks, and his labor labor is being exploited. The article stated earlier that they, they, they um, accumulate $210,000 on these sales of masks. And mind you now, governor, gov- government officials are using these masks. Governor of Virginia himself Whereas a mask, every time he do a press conference, a mask that is created and developed by people like Williams who are who are locked up in jail. Now this this thing this thing we we talk about capitalism is a deadly very it is killing us on all stages outside of the jail inside of jail whatever. Um, and just to speak about some of the conditions that that Wiggins is talking about, Wiggins said that there are 58 people in his dorm with no shower. 
No shower. That's 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 not that's not humanistic. We gotta be clean, especially dealing with the virus. You wanna have good hygiene, but they don't have a shower to do so. They have one sink. For today people with one sink, no shower. They got two telephones to make phone calls to family members. And they have one microwave and two toilets. One serve as a, a urinal and the other for defecation. And how you gonna how you how what is it? come on man, this is this is this is sickness. This is what tribalism is, is producing, has producing. And, I'm, and uh, my apologies for being long-winded about uh, current events or what's going on in the, in, the, in the world, but this is something that uh, really struck a chord with me because they are using, like I said, it's present-day slavery, meaning that they are not being, you know, this, this, this brother and other brothers and sisters who are in the jail system, they are not experiencing or living no, I mean, we got, I understand that they probably committed a crime. I'm not, I'm not trying to um, belittle that, but hell, look at the conditions, look at the conditions that they had to deal with to to uh, commit the crime. You know, capitalism. That's what you get under capitalism. You get criminal activity. Let's face it. But at, on the same side of that coin, on the other side of the of the coin, is this brother and other inmates are doing mass production, mass production of 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 um, of, of hygiene equipment. Medical equipment—they are producing this stuff, and they bring and they're accumulating all of this money for the jails. They don't—they only get like they—they they get crumbs, man. You talking about fifty-five cents to eighty cents per hour? Work, work, for that. That—that that don't amount to when you look at twelve or thirteen hours. That don't amount to nothing but what? But six to ten dollars? Come on, man. This—this this is uh—they're <laughs> getting treated like animals, man. Like you know, like this is what we say. Everything. This is what we mean. Um. Uh, as pan Africanists that or socialists that you, you we need to the, the people the workers need to create I mean need to need to own the mass of production need to own the factories need to own you know need to own the factories the uh, industries we need them because we the materials um, most of the materials and the minerals that they stole from Africa Africa to build up Europe and America and other countries we need to own it as Africans we need to own this stuff so. This is this is I, I urge people to um look at this and look at the system we're dealing with and look at our alternative a greater alternative. Now we talk about the brother who got killed in Georgia. That's going to continue to happen if we don't have the, our own land, if we don't have our own you know military, our own you know our own uh, infrastructure. So I conclude with that. Thank you, brother Barrys. Well, panelists, right there, we're going to take a revolutionary break. And when we come back, we will continue the discussion on what's going on in your world and the community. And to my panelists, I would like for you all to think about the issue around this mass vaccination. If it was not African people should participate in it, we will continue that discussion when we, when we come back from this revolutionary break. And to our listening audience, you will listen to Africa on the Move. We'll be right back.
future as we'd like to take a closer look at what is presently being proposed and is going on throughout the world as it relates to this pandemic dealing with this coronavirus. Brother Haki, earlier you talked about the situation in Nigeria trying to pay off a politician to uh, allow them to come into the country and check our children with some kind of vaccine where we don't know nothing about what's in it. They haven't really explained what they're trying to, um, what is that they're trying to deal with. Because as of today, I still not clear in terms of what is the coronavirus. If anybody can tell me, please do so. But anyway, Brother Haki and the panelists, there was also a case recently revealed in Guinea where they had two French doctors came into a school system, basically with nobody really knowing who they who they were, and they injected children with some kind of vac- vaccination, and two children died up right away, and other children are going to the hospital. Now, we can see these proposals going on all around the world about how they're going to vaccinate the whole world, which seems like the emphasis is on the African communities and oppressed communities. What is your take in terms of how could anyone come to a school system without nobody knowing anything, but more importantly, they inject the kids with the shots. How can that take place without nobody knowing anything? And then they walk away. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Brother Africa, I'm, I'm confounded myself. I, I don't understand how that could happen. The only thing I can reasonably conclude is that, you know, African people are so trusting. You know, at some point, that trust has to give, give way to history. And we have to understand that clearly. I'm mindful of the fact that in, in, when I was in Zanzibar, uh, it's an island off of, um, off of uh, Tanzania in East Africa, uh, when, 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 when white people, when white tourists would come, the kids would run, and all you would hear is mzungu, mzungu, mzungu. It was more than one of you hear wazungu, wazungu, wazungu. And, and so I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, what's going on? So I asked uh, one, of, one, of the, uh, one of the tour guides, I said, what, what is that all about? What's, what's going on? I had a suspicion that's what they were doing. I wasn't sure, so I asked the, um, the tour guide. He said, no. He said, when, when the kids are trained, when they see Europeans, they are to get away. And all you saw was kids running, scattering, you know, going to the house, shutting the doors, locking the windows, I mean, everything. Because they, they, they understand the history. And that is a sad commentary in terms of human relationships. But the bottom line is that we can ill afford to err on the side of, not err on the side of caution. We have to err on the side of caution because we don't have a choice. Because this, 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 this colonial mentality, this, this notion that some people are more than others, does still exist. And in that context, I'm going to be very careful in terms of how our interactions with, with, with people who call themselves white. I mean, that's not a bigoted or racial statement. That's just a, a question in terms of survival. That is not to say that all white folks are inherently bad or white folks out here to do evil to African people. But the mere fact that you have a long history of that, you can't discount that history in terms of people's motivation, particularly in the context of capitalism. You simply can't. So your, so your relationship with white folks has to be based upon, based upon respect, but based upon, listen, you know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on guard. I have to watch. I have to be very critical in terms of what you do and what you don't do because it could be the difference between life and death. How many African people out here actually trusted police who end up getting themselves shot in the head by police because because it was white and the cop and they trusted them? So I, I think that this 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 thing that happened in Guinea in terms of coming into school and being able to have access to the children speaks values in terms of that kind of trust that African people uh, 
seem to uh, 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 convey in terms of in terms of the way we go about doing business. It shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. Not only because they're white, because they were foreign. I mean, because they weren't indigenous to that to that to that that, that community. They weren't affiliated with that school. Uh, so the mere fact that they they could come there to these French two French white individuals could come there and just arbitrarily have access to these children speaks values in terms of just precisely what the hell were the teachers thinking? What the hell was the principal thinking? Uh, you see somebody who doesn't belong in that school, then you have an obligation to investigate and find out why are you here. And this question in terms of having access to the children, hell no. That's 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 a non-starter. There's no access to the children. What is wrong with you? As a matter of fact, what I would do, I would hold you for the police to come and find out, you know, what is your business here? Because you shouldn't be here. So the mere fact that they gave these people access to the children speaks values in terms of the kind of trust that permeates the psychic of African people. And I think that kind of trust has has to come to an end. It's not to be it's not to be racist or it's not to be um, um, illiberal. It's not to be it's not to be uh, condescending toward people who happen who happen to see how to be white or who happen to be white. It is a, re- a, re- a realization that in fact that when you when you talk about conditioning in terms of how capitalists condition people to think, then you got to understand that possibility in terms of conditioning does exist. And if that possibility condition exists in the minds of people, then their behavior is predictable. And so therefore, I got no other choice but to be very careful in terms of my reaction with people who are being conditioned to think a certain way. It's only intelligent. It's not racism. It's intelligence. So I think I think we have to overcome this nonsense in terms of being welcoming. We've got to begin to think in terms of historical understanding. We have to understand, you know, that um, nothing happens in isolation. And so when these kinds of situations arise, there should be no excuse whatsoever to grant permission to people, uh, strangers like that, to have access to these children. So I'll close with that. Could I Anyone add something like to that, Brother Africa? Yeah, sure. Um, in addition to the to the points that Hakeem made, I want also, is that, uh, is that another problem is that uh, a lot of illiteracy runs rampant in Africa, unfortunately, as it does in other poor countries of the world. And uh, and uh, let's see, just as a lot of people, uh, you know, in the diaspora don't 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 know our history, a lot of Africans on the continent do not do not know the history of uh, European encounters simply because it's not taught. And, uh, you know, and the thing about it, though, that most places have a procedure for, uh, uh, you know, for setting up clinics or, 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 or doing medical procedures uh, with uh, particularly on youth. There's, a, uh, a, there's a, a vetting process involved. Apparently that did not exist in this particular village in Guinea. And uh, and uh, and the thing and when people complained, uh, the the police and the authorities were nowhere to be found. So I think this uh, uh, you know sets up a, a very dangerous situation, in which uh, you know in which people who do not have uh, you know the necessary knowledge cannot adequately protect uh, protect our youth properly. So, uh, you know, it's a very dangerous situation and very unfortunate. Uh, Panelists, sticking to this theme of 
whether or not if we should trust these recommendations to have our youth and have people in general in general vaccinated. There was a recent recent doc, document or video that came out concerning a presentation from one of the health educational department chairperson out of Chicago where she made the statement that they have plenty supplies already available to start the vaccination process. While at the same time, they never had enough supplies to test the people. They never had enough enough supplies to give the people the proper health care. But she wanted to say, you know, they've been ready for a while for this. What do y'all make of that? That display of information, and I start with you, uh, brother. I read some more. Y'all side is all. Chicago look like they've already prepared for this academic in terms of vaccinating. Hey, brother, I can get you Yeah, what do you make of the whole idea in Chicago? Listen to one of their representatives for the health department. They have already revealed that they had a plan in place a long time to vaccinate to to have a vaccination plan to vaccinate every citizen in Chicago. And she was very proud of making the statement that they have plenty syringes already available. They had the equipment to do the vaccination, but they never had enough equipment to properly treat the people, nor have they done the proper um, investigation in terms of trying to figure out how many people have been impacted upon that? What can you draw for that kind of revealing the information? What is your take on that? Yes, uh, yes. So basically, basically, just to piggyback where where, bro, where brother Anthony left off at about the education of African uh, students, uh, of black ch- children on the continent of Africa. I just want to quote some. Look back to Walter Rodney, how you are. Under underdeveloped uh, uh, Africa It's a very important book All Africans around the world should have this book And, and, and learn and study this book thoroughly Now in his book he speaks about uh, the, t- the children of the Denver tribe learning be Prior to being colonized By Europeans they, 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 they can point out any tree In Africa and tell you the name of the tree Tell you the species of the tree And the family of the tree But after the colonization happened they Europeans came in and and, 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 and basically dominated uh well not dominated Africa but brainwashed Africa with their institution their European cultural institution and basically and on, on if you look at page three hundred Rodney speaks about a a, a a a professor from Africa he 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 was raised in Africa but he went to Europe to get a, a secondary education because Africa during that time. Talking about, uh, you know, uh, I guess 19, 1940s. Um, basically, they didn't have secondary schooling. Um, sorry, early 1900s. They didn't have they didn't have secondary schooling. They had primary schooling, but you know, some primary schooling by religious institutions, but they didn't have secondary schooling. You had to go out of the country to get secondary schooling. So he speaks about this professor named Dr. Colab uh, uh, Buza. Now he speaks about going to, you know, going to Europe. To get his education, and when he came back home to Africa, he felt he felt so isolated. He he 
he felt so isolated and he really didn't um he didn't really understand, you know, he, he felt so isolated because he was so educated and brainwashed with European culture, with European history. Oh, this is what he, he speaks about. He said I understood I understood our community far less than the boys of my own age who had never been to school. Over the years, as I went through college and university, I felt increasingly that the education I received taught me more and more about Europe and less and less about my own society of Africa. And not only that, when and also in the same chapter, Walter Rodney bring up also brought up that the Dimba, children of the Dimba, when they start going to these uh colonial schools they lost all they sense, all their knowledge about. They didn't. They lost all their sense and knowledge about trees. They didn't. They, they wasn't taught that anymore. They were taught about European, uh, uh, you know, European trees and designs and, and, and stuff of that nature. They wasn't even, you know, learning about. You know, they was learning about flowers. You know, flowers that's important to Europeans. Roses that was your uh, important to European culture. They wasn't even learning about their trees and their own home in their own community in their own home this is this is you know after this is what the colonial education did so what what brother anthony say it's a crucial point to why you said that the two europeans giving shots children in guinea and also with uh like in, in comparison to chicago why they want to focus on <laughs> chicago everybody all of the the um conservatives conservatives or the politicians in, in the united states they always trigger Chicago this, Chicago that. Oh, Chicago is a high high rate of uh high rate of crime among black people, black and black. All of the, all of these conservative talking points that they use. They always want to use Chicago. Chicago we, we, when you when when you see statements like that, we can't under we can't forget that Fred Hampton was assassinated by the FBI in Chicago. We cannot forget that you gotta you gotta use you gotta use historic, historical knowledge. you gotta use history Imagine the situation when they said that they already had vaccinations planned for everybody in Chicago. Now, if you look at Chicago, what else happened in Chicago? They had a facility, a facility, I'm sorry, a facility being used to, I, I want to say, by police officers killing black folks. Uh, um, killing, I forgot the name of the facility. It came out some years ago. Years ago, they were using this facility for illegal purposes, uh, purposes among black people. In that, in that community of Chicago, I even read some articles about police officers dressing in blackface or dressing in, dressing like black people committing crimes in the neighborhood just to just to say that oh it's black on black crime well not even committing crimes committing killings and murders on black people black folks and Chicago is not the only place when you talk about in the context of the United States. So when you look at a statement that says oh we they had we had this plan all along to give some vaccinations now. Why the hell are they going to plan to give? What, what's the plan? What, you you, you got to ask yourself scientifically, what's the plan? What's the plan? If they plan to give vaccinations to all along to, to people in Chicago, it makes you wonder, man. Like you, That's why, you know, you've you got to look at this thing scientifically. I know we're bombarded by information on a daily basis, but you got to be scientific and look at this stuff. And you got to look at the historical context, context of Africa. And this ain't this you know this ain't nothing to to, to play with, but it's not shocking. And to make a long story short, uh, short, you should not be shocked about this. But we got to be smart, we got to be strategic, and we got to be scientific. I conclude by saying this: as for Maggie L. Walker, the uh, the Maggie the, the, the humanitarian, the civil rights activist, and the banker here in Richmond, Virginia, Maggie L. Walker, during the 1918 flu pandemic. 
she lobbied the Virginia governor for more funding and more money to create a hospital that serves only black doctors and nurses, and they only serve, and the black doctors and nurses of that community they serve black patients of that community. It wasn't outsiders coming in there to give us vaccines. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't outsiders. It was the community. It was us and our community serving us in our own community. And I and I, I, t- I took my head off for Maggie Walker to do that in, around the, uh, during the 1918 flu pandemic. They don't speak too much about that. We don't learn too much about that. More than 1,000 people died from that flu in Richmond. And the, and the most and the most of the most people that suffered, like today, as they saying, was African, the African community in Richmond. Now, to, to conclude, we must get back to that thinking. We must get back to owning, you know, uh, creating our own doctors, um, uh, creating our own doctors, creating our own scientists, and serving. And once we get that, that's what Cuban doing. We got to we got to do that. We got to we got to get that scientific back to that scientific approach, that manufacturing approach, approach that medical approach. To serving our community, I conclude with that. Brother Moses, your take on this narrative in Chicago, where they have been more prepared to do the vaccination, but quite ill-prepared to deal with the pandemic in terms of treatment and in terms of trying to understand exactly what it is. What do you take from that? Well, you know, on the under, quote, normal, unquote, circumstances, we might think that, you know, these doctors uh, have learned from experience and are trying to be prepared in advance uh, for, you know, this outbreak. Uh, You know, like the brother said, we have to take the history and be dialect from historical materials about this and see that class struggle is still taking place and and all this takes place within society and uh with in inequities and uh obviously, you know, people don't trust the system. Uh we've had Tuskegee, we had all kinds of experiments on us and uh and we've learned from experience. And so and the fact that, you know, nothing's been verified in terms of a vaccine and it hasn't been tested or anything, we're kinda of rushing to judgment and uh uh, we need to really be uh, cautious about what we take in our bodies in this in these days and time because we got a madman in the White House and uh, he's authorizing and ready to to uh, try anything as long as it's not on him. And so, you know, I would say, you know, uh, you know the. Vaccination is going to be a problem, no matter what. Um, once we actually find a definite vaccine, it still is going to be a problem because it's going to be a real problem of convincing people that that it, it actually works and that it, it's not something detrimental to their health. Uh, so you know we have a complex problem here, uh, and uh, right now we need to slow down and get get a, a a definite reliable vaccine before we rush into anything. Thank you. You know, Brother Anthony and Brother Hakeem, Brother Bobby's made an interesting observation about the need to go back and have our own doctors and hospitals 
to try to avoid these type of situations. But looking at history, even if we had our own doctors and hospitals, do you think we still could avoid these kind of situations where people still would be subject to or be very vulnerable to being coming experiments for the interest of the state? For example, I would argue that all of these experiments that have taken place historically in this country and throughout the world, somewhere down the line, you had African people participate in some capacity. And for whatever reason, they continue to, um, they chose to capitulate um, to these evil plans and behavior. For example, uh, it, for example, after then you can find, how do you deal with your African politicians? Like in Richmond, Virginia, there's a male who is going around publicly and he's advocating that the first group of people that should take these shots should be people, Africans in the project, and poor class, working class people. And he is demanding and they put pressure and try to make these parents feel irresponsible if they don't allow their children, if they don't take these shots. What do you say about those type of policies and those types of politicians who look like you, who are telling their people that this is good and we should be the first ones to take them? Go ahead, Brother Anthony. Well, you've got a combination of things at work, uh, very different aspects of capitalism. One uh, uh, one of the reasons why I think there's such a heavy emphasis on, on, on vaccines as opposed to testing to find out how widespread the, the, uh, the virus is in the first place is because there is big money in, va- in vaccinations, and uh, very big money. And as a matter of fact, uh, you know, the, the pharmaceutical companies would enjoy, uh, would enjoy a, tr- a tremendous uh, windfall of uh, trillions of dollars into their coffers if, uh, if this policy was fully implemented in the U.S. And uh, that video about, about Chicago, even though it was about the city of Chicago, uh, there's a possibility this, this might, it indicated that it might be going on in other cities in the U.S. as well. Not sure which ones. But uh, you know, you know that's one factor. Another factor too is the fact that uh, throughout our history, uh, our entire history—not just our history in the Western Hemisphere—you've had though you've had that small sector of Africans that were willing that were willing to sell out the interests of our people for chump change. Or, or to enrich their own pockets, uh, you know, from those uh, those Africans that participated as uh, as uh, as uh, slave catchers, uh, you, you, you know, during the Maafa, to the uh, uh, to those uh, you know uh, uh, you, you know slave hunters who who uh, who, who participated in capturing, uh, you know, Africans trying to escape from slavery during the days of chattel slavery, 
up until uh, the present day where you have neocolonialism. And right now, neocolonialism is the biggest impediment to our liberation because, unfortunately, you do have that small sector of our people that are willing to sell out the masses uh, for their own, uh, you know, for their own selfish interests. So you have that combina- uh, uh, combination at work. And also the fact that we don't control the educational system of our own people is another factor. Uh, uh, we, we, uh, too many of us leave the education of our children up to other people. And that's a breeding camp, uh, a ground for neocolonialism. And uh, you, you, you get people that work against uh, the interests of the group as a whole. So uh, you know, so you know, so you know that the the, the the solution is we have to be better organized as a people, so that we can create, uh, you know, the, the the mechanisms necessary to preserve our culture, cultural values, and our lives. Do response, Aki. Yeah, well, I, I think we have to fundamentally understand the role of class. And one of the things you got to understand, to the extent that you know African people internalize a lot of the lessons in the, in the classroom, they internalize their own impression, oppression. So they don't have a problem in terms of doing things the way everybody else does things because they think that's the right way to do things. So this conditioning process is something that gets reinforced over and over again by television, movies, and so forth and so on. So clearly, you know, uh, even before we begin to talk about the question in terms of what about, uh, you know, the, the financial uh, benefits in terms of playing ball. Well, even before you get that, even if they don't accrue any financial benefits in terms of playing ball, African people will, some, some African people will still capitulate. They will still go along with things as they are simply because of, of this perception that skin color defines intelligence. To the extent that African people continue to think that skin color uh, defines intelligence, it's still with us in the 21st century. So we, we, I mean, this is stuff that we thought was eradicated back in the 60s when we talk about black is beautiful. So clearly it, it is a problem. But in terms of class, in terms of, you know, uh, you know, when you talk about, you know, Africans positions of power, uh, doing things to, to, to disempower African people, that's power for the course. Because one of the things, if you think, if you go back and think about uh, the Tuskegee uh, experiment, one of the most atrocious experiments ever conducted against the people, uh, this um, this whole notion in terms of not treating people who who were infected with, with syphilis. Well, you know the director of that program was an African. Uh, and my history, ser- I mean, if my memory serves me correctly, between 1936 and 1946, he was the director uh, of the uh, Tuskegee Institute, and that brother's name was Eugene Debbie Jr. So clearly, so so clearly, so even if you have a situation where you have African, say, in African doctors or African teachers or African scientists in various capacities, the bottom line, if they don't have a consciousness in terms of what they're doing, uh, they're going to play ball because, in their mind, the name of the game is to, to accrue as much cash as you possibly can. It's all about the money. Likewise, when you start talking about entertainers who only take certain kind of roles, you know, roles concerning you know. They're always portrayed as you know, police officers, intelligence officers, uh, military officers. You know, never portrayed as people who are fighting against their oppression, but they're always uh, uh, depicted as people who are fighting to enhance their oppression. So we got this kind of mindset that exists in the mind of our people, in which you know it's, it's not going to be eradicated easily. 
And, and one of the things is when you try to get people to, to gain some clarity in terms of discourse around this question around, you know, slave mentality, it's a very difficult thing to, 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 to access, access because the problem is that people who have a colonial mindset or slave mentality are not going to come forward and say, I got a slave mentality. It doesn't work that way. If anything, they do one of two things. They get mad with you because you're saying things in which they don't want to hear. Or secondly, they, they attempt to discredit what you're saying in their minds because their position is that, you know, there's something fundamentally wrong with me. The problem is you. And so we got this problem, Brother Africa, and it's, and it's an educational question. There's no question about that. It's a question in terms of education. And Brother Africa is absolutely correct. If we don't take control of our education, it's fine to have, you know, the school system in place. Why last? It's fine to have the education system in place. But the real education has to take place when those kids get out of school. And if you don't indoctrinate those kids or, or, or condition those, not condition, but if you don't introduce those kids to who they are, to their history, in terms of their accomplishments, what their capabilities are, then the system will tell them they're not capable. And this is the fundamental problem we have, which is why we have to have institutions to reinforce certain ideas. But until we have those institutions, then this kind of colonial mindset, this slave mentality that exists now, people, by the way, exist world over, not just in America, but throughout the world, but until we do that, then we're going to continue to have people who, African people who acquiesce to the system, thinking the system is the greatest thing in the world, and not understanding that what they're doing is fundamentally uh, reinforcing a system which is diametrically opposed to their own survival. Okay, panelists, before we go to your uh, station break and make a transition to the theme tonight, which is capitalism, brain, destruction, and deception. I'd like for each one of y'all to um, think about this, and I'd like to have a response. And the response is, I mean, the issue is, are we all complicit in the realities of how this issue of mass conservation are treating our brothers and sisters in these dungeons? Are we all complicit in it? That is to say, have we played a role where we have accepted the idea of once you have been labeled as an inmate or have been incarcerated, that you have lost any kind of semblance of being a human being and have lost all your human rights. I think Brother Maurice said it earlier. He equated it as being just outright slavery. Think about that. I'd like to have your response, but we're going to take a station break right now. We'll be right back. You'll listen to Africa on the move. What's up? Some That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. I'm all about peace and love. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yes. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Him a terrorist. Okay, one nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Lumumba was democracy. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that's mm-hmm. his music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. Oh, 
the racist. Glenn Beck is a racist. Got the strip was getting bomb. Obama didn't say shit. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America can stand the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame? When they drop the bombs out of them planes, using depleted uranium, babies looking like two-headed aliens. Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal, and nothing subliminal to it. That's how they do it. See the game they run. Give a fuck who's cunning, articulate and handsome. Afghanistan held for ransom by the hand of this black man, neo-colonial puppet, white power with a black face. He said, "Fuck it, I'll do it." I'm master of the sky, expert at telling lies. Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize. Should've known he was trained in Chicago. Work the chairman Fred and Mark talk What they do in the dark will come out in the light, like a WikiLeaks site. So I guess the crew was right. Who's ready to fight? Last things of imperialism, I ain't kidding. In the immortal words of Marvin Gaye, this ain't living. Getting ready for Syria First black president, the masses were hungry But the same president just bombed an African country like The Jonas Brothers are here they're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking?
Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. That's a very interesting song, the Obama Nation. Um, panelists, welcome back. As we left before our revolutionary break, I wanted y'all to think about this whole issue of whether or not uh, we being complicit in the conditions and the plight of our political prisoners and of our people being incarcerated. And as a result, we too have brought into the whole idea of not viewing our brothers and sisters as human beings. So therefore, they legally need dungeons and all kind of things are being done to them without any kind of thought or any kind of disregard of a knowledge they are humanists. Panelists, your response to that question, are we being complicit? in terms of how they treat their brothers and sisters in prison? Yes, I think so. And uh, it's not entirely intentional. I think think it's part of uh, the conditioning process that exists inside the U.S., but primarily by two sources, the educational system and also the mass media. And uh, unless, and, and and very often, unless you're a relative of uh, of one of these brothers or sisters who who are being incarcerated, you're you're somewhat desensitized to their plight. And uh, I think a lot of us subconsciously, uh, you know, believe that if that if they're uh, if they're subject to uh, long-term imprisonment especially, that they did something to deserve it. Such as stealing, rape, murder, etc. You know, uh, and uh, let's see, and I think uh, very often we lose sight that, uh, that, that a lot of times uh, Africans, because they do not have the resources to mount an effective defense, they're railroaded into prison. And also, there's also something in the Constitution that allows this to occur. And it's the same amendment that put an end to chattel slavery, uh, the 13th Amendment. But also embedded in that amendment is, uh, is a clause that uh uh that 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 was written in there which a lot of people tend not to pay attention to and that is that uh with the exception of um of uh conviction you know do, do, uh due to uh you know to a crime then your then your then you lose your citizenship rights in essence is what it says and a lot of people don't realize that that once you're in prison you you lose your rights as as a citizen but uh but it's so deep this because it seems like you lose your your human rights as well at least inside the u s and that's because uh the underlying motive was uh to maintain a source of cheap labor and that was uh, a- a- and that was before decades before the concept of uh, the privatization of uh, prisons was ever thought of. But that condition was in there. So, 
and I think people lose sight of that very often. Yeah, well, I think the problem in a nutshell, I think, about Africa is the fact that, you know, there's, there's a concept in which people have a very difficult time uh, uh, appreciating, and that concept is socialization. And you try to get people to understand that, you know, that, you know, human beings are like a computer. What you put into them is what you get out of. It's a very difficult concept for people to grasp. So if you have a child growing up, say, under circumstances which are abhorrent, which are horrible, and that child is on a sugar diet, uh, if that child is subjected to consistent brute abuse, verbal or physical otherwise, and if that child is constantly uh, reaffirmed that his, 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 his worth on his planet is zero, then it doesn't take a genius to figure out that that child will pretty soon, by the time he, by the child, by the time that child is, you know, eight, nine years of age, is going to conclude that you know I'm just coming to Earth. So then, imagine you have a system in place which sort of reinforces that kind of mindset that, based upon your skin color, uh, we're going to create conditions in which make sure that everything for you is, is difficult. Uh, you get a job, but the job you get is going to be pay you on the peanuts, so you're going to be stressed out. Uh, your apartment, you're going to barely, barely pay, uh, make enough to pay your apartment. Um, so you have, so you, so you, so you get a a a a a a friend to live with you, a partner uh, to live with you at the apartment. Together, you take your meager incomes and you try to survive. Even then, then you have a situation where you now have enough in terms of actually buying food. So what you did, you relegated to what eating the sugar diet. Frustration grows and grows and grows and grows. In addition to you always feeling that you're no, you're nobody anyway. Well, when the frustration gets to a point where where it tips over, then that individual subject could do almost anything. And this is the fundamental problem that we're confronted with. And so we're talking about in terms of people being human, in terms of their ability, in terms to absorb, you know, the messages that society sends them or the, or the messages that the community sends them. And so it's a very difficult thing for people to grasp because often people would say, when you try to explain to them the role of socialization, they tell you, well, I never committed a crime. Okay, all right. Uh, I had similar circumstances. You know, my upbringing my was horrible. I had, I had a sugar diet. You know, I ate cupcakes and, and potato chips. You know, I don't go out and corrupt people or commit crime. And, and, that, and, that's understand, and that's true. You do have individuals who very chaotic circumstances comes up, and despite that, they much rather be in the street than to commit a crime. You have people like that. But those people are not the norm. So the norm is that when you when you when you when you when you when you inculcate those kind of values in a human being, the reality is that that individual is engaged in destructive kinds of behavior. It's not magical. It's not mystery. It's it's, it's what the way it is. The capitalists understand that, which is one of the reasons why they continue to uh, uh, employ stereotypes in terms of maintaining control. They understand the power in terms of how people see themselves. So if the community doesn't do the thing in terms of protect themselves from that image, that imagery or that conditioning in the minds of the children, then when they grow up and commit crimes and understand, you are part and parcel are responsible for the child doing what he did because you refuse to create conditions to protect that child's mind brain, to protect that, file, that, child, that, check, uh, that child's uh, self-esteem. You did that. You did that. We did that as a community. But it's a very difficult concept to get people to understand. People always say that, well, but I didn't, but I didn't, but I didn't. And, and, and you know, you try to, you know, and, and, and fine, we understand you didn't. And there are people who don't. But they're not the norm, and that's what people have to understand. Even those people who live on the street who refuse to commit a crime in terms of in terms of survival, if push comes to show and they have to commit a crime to survive, they're going to do that. Does that mean there's something fundamentally wrong with them? 
or does that mean that you live in a system which is fundamentally anti-humane, which is anti-human, to put it more precisely? So I think that once people begin to understand this whole concept in terms of social relations, in terms of how it impacts people, then maybe they begin to understand why, you know, certain things the government does in terms of, of, of continuing the oppression of African people, certain things that they do, certain things they say, certain obstacles that they put in your way, uh, certain ways that you're viewed on television, certain ways you're portrayed in the news. Then they begin to understand that this is all part of a grand strategy. And if they understand it's part of a grand strategy, then the thing, the intelligent thing to do is say, okay, now I understand it's a part of a grand strategy. Let me get with other people. Let me move to create these conditions to protect these children, to make sure that they, that, 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 uh, they can fight back against these imagery, this imagery that's, that's been directed at them. But people have to understand fundamentally the role of socialization. So that's the struggle, Brother Africa, not just, not just close with that. Brother Moses, are we being complicit in terms of how they treat our political prisoners and brothers and sisters who are in these mass incarceration dungeons? Certainly, um, I think you know, Brother Anthony pointed out the contradiction correctly. You know, we 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 get involved uh, with life life day to day struggles, and sometimes. We don't put as much energy as we should into communicating and and uh, and uh, reinforcing the, the political views and uh, and encouraging the struggle to continue uh, with with our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated. We need constant communication, uh, building an organization inside the prison as well. And so we should be organizing. That's that's the bottom line. We have to organize to to deal with this system, uh, uh, which is a problem. And uh, and until we actually deal with the system, uh, we just we just uh, putting band aids on cancer, and and that's the real problem. Uh, and so, you know, uh, definitely we we need to, to do as much as possible to to reinforce the day-to-day struggles and and uh, communicate with our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated. Thank you. Brother Maurice, your response? Yes, we are definitely complicit because we don't have to lack. And, and, and Brother brother Hacks, he pointed out, I mean, you can't get no, he broke it down scientifically of situations or the reality to drive people in that direction. Um to, you know, to have to, in criminal uh, direction or whatever. But for the people that are saying, oh, I, I you know, I, I was raised on cup cakes and oodles and noodles and cup noodles and sugar water and what have you, and I didn't do that because you got to, I mean, you got to also be scientific and look at the level of support system of family. Um, some people have grandparents, grandparents in their life. Some people don't have grandparents in their life. So you got to, you just got to be, for those people, for those people that that, that brother actually illustrated who are you know you have to that say that say that type of things. I I be I witness people saying oh I I uh, I had them the same conditions that these kids have, but I ain't, I ain't I'm not doing that to what they did. And you got to look at the level of propaganda that's taking effect. You know, look at generational propaganda. We didn't have certain certain generations didn't have Twitter, or social media. You know, like we talk about social socialization. It went. It's, it's on. It's untranslated onto social social media. I feel like our communities has translated onto uh, uh, social media because we don't have. 
I mean, of course, right now we're not having them because we got this, you know, everybody's on lockdown. But prior to this lockdown, I felt like it was a lack of socialization. It was a lack of meetings. It was it was a lack of institutions, of study groups for, for, for our students. And and when we talk about Kwame Nkrumah, Kwame Nkrumah talks about the African personality. We need to develop an African personality. We we have no sense of personality. We have we adapted to this European the personality that uh, Europeans want Africans to have. You know, go 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 in line, stand in line to get a, Mike, a pair of Michael Jordan shoes. Uh, they you know they think Obama singing Al Green is a sense of African personality. They think Barack Obama uh, 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 playing basketball, basketball singing, entertainment. That's the African personality. That is not our personality, and basically, African personality is philosophy that that that, that gear, gear us to a new future for us as as black people. You know, when when we talk about economic means, when we talk about political means, when we talk about uh, industrial industrialization on the in, industry. So, if we have if we we if we own uh, uh, the the resources, or or we own yeah the resources and, and the means of production, the factories. Uh, the the manufacturing machines and we own all of that stuff now. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have the conditions of oh, I have to go do this. I have to go you know rob a bank for lack of a better term. Or I have to go sell such and such. Or I had to go in the military and then experience another. You know you in the military you in the you in the military fighting uh, 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 basically doing doing the dirty work for capitalists. Um, so so basically when we have that understanding as the African personality. We can move into a a more uh, a more a realistic, beneficial situation for for Africans. We have to extract, you know, the, the negative. I mean, sorry, we have to extract the positivity from from uh, you know our, our experiences, uh, our experiences, excuse me, of Islam, um, Christianity, uh, uh, traditional Africa. We got to look back to that, and we have to, and like brother. Uh, Brother, brother Hacky stated, we have to build institutions that would gear us into that direction. We have to have a African personality. So as long as long as we don't develop those institutions, as long as we don't develop that sense of African personality as Black people, as African people in the world, yes, we're going to remain complicit and hold on and on, on our, our our brothers and sisters being treated inhumane, inhumane in prison. So yes, we we as of right now we we are still uh, complicit. Alice, can I get your response to this this phenomenon? You know, there's an old saying that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, or in this case, kill me. I'm saying that in the context of looking at if people continue to function off and give credibility to the U.S. Constitution, which is nothing more than a tool to help develop, create, and maintain capitalism and all of the destructions and deception that comes with it. If we continue to see that as a functioning tool to organize our lives around and give credence to it, when will we ever get, um, bring about a new possibilities where this whole concept of freedom and justice for all people um, will apply or can exist? What is the parallel between the functioning of giving credence to the Constitution and how it maintains to keep capitalism in, in existence, which therefore 
means that you will continue to have destruction and deception, not only inside the context of America, but throughout the world. Response to that, Brother Haki, Anthony. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. Um, for anybody in the 21st century, they still think that somehow the Constitution is somehow uniquely qualified to point uh, humanity in the right direction, and they're sadly mistaken. Uh, you're absolutely correct. When you talk about the, the, the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, essentially what you're talking about, you're talking about a, a, a liberation doc, document for the, the ruling class white males or the minority of the population, and that's all you're talking about. All you're talking about is a, a, a Constitution which is geared toward ensuring that the few who have the property will have the wealth to ensure their, to sustain their rule. That's all you're talking about. The Constitution has nothing to do in terms of... Uh, 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 uniquely defining, you know, uh, you know, uh, freedoms for working class people or poor people or people of color and so forth and so on. So for anyone who really thinks that somehow the Constitution has a place in terms of bringing about some kind of redress, then they're sadly mistaken. Now I'm assuming that some people probably say, well, look at look at the board versus education. They created uh, they created uh, separate. They, they they had a rule in separate but equal. Yes, separate but equal. But what you don't understand is that when when the way they define equal meant that it wouldn't encroach upon the uh, the standing of, of those rich white men. In other words, the conditions of those rich white men in terms of maintaining control and leverage and power didn't, didn't wasn't challenged when I older. In fact, the schools that were created were subpar compared to the white schools. So nothing really changed. It only gave the illusion, the appearance, the form that, in fact, things changed, when in reality, nothing changed. So I think at this point in the 21st century, I think most people will come to the realization that the Constitution is a joke. I think most people begin to understand it. Particularly, we talk about the, the, the rights of African people in society. Now, what kind of document would say that, you know, that uh, people who, who've been here all their life are only conditional citizens? And that's for every 20 years we get the right to affirm whether or not you have a right to vote in the society. What kind of institution, uh, which is supposedly well-rounded, would even, it would even uh, qualify such nonsense, you know? But nonetheless, you know, you've got people who are conservative, people who position is that, they espouse this whole concept of originalism, which says that, you know, it's all about, you know, it's all about maintaining, you know, the way things used to be back in the 16th century, and that's the way things should be as, as, as it, the way things should be currently. So you got this kind of situation. So if people don't get it, that when they're people saying that we talk about originalism or we're talking about things should be the way we we're in 16th something century, if people don't get it, then I guess they would never, they'll never figure it out. But clearly, I think most people are beginning to realize that the Constitution is, 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 is really not a document in terms of the liberation of humanity. It really, it really isn't. And for those who think it is somehow a, a, a living and breathing document, then think again. When you look at the current, the current Supreme Court, it's very, very clear that they have no intent on, on even defining those very statutes in a way which tends to empower humanity. So clearly, the Constitution is a joke. After your response? Yeah, uh, I concur with you, Brother Africa and Brother Haki. I think uh, you're correct. I think, uh, think, uh, you know, in order for us to gain our freedom, we need uh, uh, need a total change in the way society is organized. And that can only come with a new constitution. I mean, the U.S. prides itself on the fact that it has the oldest uh, constitution in the world currently, right now. But I, but that does nothing. To do, that does not do anything for the masses of struggling humanity. 
not even for the majority of Europeans for that matter. But, you know, uh, and, and the thing about it, though, a lot of people don't study, uh, you, you know, that swear by these documents, don't study them carefully. Uh, you know, it, uh, uh, the Constitution was a document that, uh, designed to, get, to, to keep rich European males in power. It, is school, it, it, it even excluded most Europeans. Why this is kept, but people don't realize that. And, uh, and it definitely excluded Africans and the, uh, and the indigenous people of this hemisphere to, this, to, to whom this land rightly belongs to. So, uh, so, so it, it, it definitely needs to be changed. And uh, you know, and for us to, to think that that this land belongs, that that we have a right to, it because we've uh, we've been enslaved on it for for, for nearly five centuries. So, you know, you know, it's something wrong. And I think we have to organize ourselves in order to liberate our only just homeland. And with that. Will come our freedom and our ability to control our resources, and uh, and and and, uh, and and we will and we will finally have the respect of people around the world, and our rights won't continue to be trampled upon. Brother Maurice, and Brother Moses, your response. Yeah, the Constitution is a sham. Um, reforms to the Constitution is not going to change anything. We, we continue to get the same outcome. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came to that conclusion in the late 1960s when he made the statement that he integrated his people into a burning a burning house or a burning building or whatever. He, I mean, it's burning. It's on fire. So reforms is not going to work. And as you know, during this, this quote-unquote civil rights movement, our people shed a lot of blood. Shed a lot of blood, uh, a lot of blood to be integrated into the same school. Not, and it wasn't necessarily to be integrated for the same into the same school. It was to have better resources, better quality of books, better quality of desks and furniture, heat, water, access to restaurants, stuff, stuff, things of that nature, right? But we shed blood for those type of, for that for those type of things. We shed blood to, to sit on the front of the bus. Go in the same stores, drink from the uh, water, public water fountain. So, but the list goes on and on. We shed blood uh, for, for, like, Thomas Ray made a statement. We shed blood for reforms. Why not? Why not? Uh, if we could shed blood and sweat for reforms and still get the same outcome over and over and over and over again to present day, why not just fight for something greater once for all and be done with it? Uh, why not just come to the point and be straightforward and fight like 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 the brother stated earlier? Uh, the Constitution is a sham. Constitution was not made for us. People that look like yourself and myself, it was not made for us. And like Brother Anthony alluded to, it was not made for certain Europeans, uh, poor poor people, or poor Europeans, or what have you. So basically, basically, um, coming to that conclusion, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to shed blood for freedom. Freedom is not free. <laughs> Freedom is not given. It's something achieved. It's something developed. It's something that's earned by the people who who aim to be free. I mean, well, come on, man. The um, what was it? The the the, the American Revolution uh, showed us that you got to show uh, you, and, and even with the American Revolution, who 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 was on the front line of risking their lives? African people, black people. 
But we've been fighting with our lives for their revolution. Why not just fight for our freedom and our liberation? Keep fighting with reforms. Uh, keep making slogans. And, you know, I, 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 it's frustrating, man. Like, it's, 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 at this point, it's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's, it's embarrassing and it's frustrating and it's sickening. We make a uh, whole, you know, T-shirt, I can't breathe. Uh, uh, please don't, my hands up, don't shoot. All these slogans. We make a new slogan every goddamn time. Uh, a brother or sister is shot and killed. We make a new slogan. Or we're going to jog, jog for justice. Come on, man. No, cut it out. Stop it. We have to we have to develop and get to the point of, of understanding development, understanding manufacturing, understanding revolution, understanding organizing, organization, preparation. That's what we got to get to right now, man. It's too late in the day. It's late in the day, man. And I can do with that. Okay, panelists. You know, our theme tonight is capitalism, brain, destruction, and deception. And that was a really interesting article we'd like to advocate to our listening audience to take some time out and read this article. As he said, read, you shall learn. The title of this article is What a Rigged Economy Looks Like. Came from Common Dream, it was uh, published on the 8th of May, 2020. Now, as y'all read the article, side with you, Brother Haki, it goes to the essence of what we just discussing about capitalism, this question, destruction, and deception. What does a rigged economy look like? And just in started today, your response by reading this article, what you got from it? Yeah, well, essentially what they're talking about, the way the uh, the uh, stock market is essentially a Ponzi scheme. And it's important people understand it is a Ponzi scheme. And this is, this is, this is, the, uh, this is how it works. First, it starts with overvaluing assets, you know, uh, apartment buildings, houses, uh, cars, uh, stocks and bonds. Those things get overvalued. So what happens is you ask people to bid on the price of those assets, the stocks. So people bid on those stocks. Now, here's the thing. It's advertised that based upon the, the, the potential earnings of those stocks, is people assume that based upon that, that number that the stocks uh, are not only uh, 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 potentially uh, potentially uh, 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 earn you a lot of money, but also that it's going to that it's going to be very very lucrative for you. So people invest in it. Now here's the catch: the, those those stock numbers are artificially manipulated by Wall Street analysts, and so therefore when you see the, you know this high stock earning, right? What that means is that some people working behind the scenes to elevate that price to make it attractive so people can spend their money into that stock. And you know what happens when lots and lots of people spend, spend lots and lots of money into that stock? Someone sells their stock. They get the money, you get the loss. Or what they would do, when they bid up the price of that stock, okay, people will keep giving money because they think they're going to make a lot of money because the value of the stock keeps going up, 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 and up, and up. Well, what they do, the wealthy do, along, among themselves, they invest in that particular stock, driving the price even higher. So, so when the price, so when that, so when that price gets to a certain point where it can't go any higher, what they do, they buy it all. They make tons of money. Now, here's the catch: they turn around that same stock that now has lower price value. They take it, rebuy that, and they do the same process all over again. So they take that price whose stock value has fallen. They pop money into it, make it look like the stock is actually selling. That there's actually something you know happening, 
people see the stock price and I'm like, God, you are $106 per, per, per share? Oh, I'm going to make a killing. Let me, let me get, uh, get 10000 of those, all right? So they put all that money into the stock, thinking they're going to get rich. What happens? The process repeats itself. They, 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 they sell. The welfare sell and make billions and billions of dollars. So it's a Ponzi scheme. And one of the things we talk about stock manipulation is important that people understand. You know, uh, part of stock manipulation is that, you know, when people talk about, you know, insider trading, understand, insider trading is very natural to the stock market because in order for it, in order for it to raise to those high levels in terms of potential uh, dividends for people, uh, people have to work together in terms of making sure that they identify specifically what stock they're going to invest in to, for, to boost up that price. And so people don't understand that. People really think that, uh, well, the SEC is investigating. They can, they're going to prevent uh, insider trading. Or they'll arrest one or two persons and say, oh, we got them for insider trading. But it's all part of, part of a scheme. And one thing I, people have to understand, Brother Africa, the other term, and I think if people understand nothing else I'm saying, understand this. There's a term on Wall Street called parking the trade. What does parking the trade mean? It means that these, these Wall Street insiders will purchase large sums of stocks. They would, take, they would take these stocks, and they would give the broker houses, or whoever they're getting the stocks, they would, they would give them a false account number, a false account number. Now, you and I can't do that. If we try to do that. The SEC, we'd be locked up. We'd be in federal prison. They can do it. So they give them a false account information. They wait and see how those stocks perform. So if you've got enough wealthy people investing in that particular stock, they can sell that. I mean, they can then, they can then sell their stock and make some money. But if the stock declines, if it loses money, then what they do, they tell the people that, listen, you know, they, 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 the loss goes to that fake account. They don't lose any money because the loss goes to the fake account. But if the stock goes up in value, guess what? They give them the correct account number, which means they make tons and tons of money. This is particularly prevalent when we talk about pension plans. So people who got these pensions and thinking when they retire, they're going to be straight. Well, I think, again, that's just not, that's just not the way it is. But in any event, it's called parking the trade. It's important that people understand that. And one last thing we hear about the Africa, I think it's important people understand. You know, corporations are not obliged to pay dividends. People think because you buy stock, they're obliged to pay you. They're not obliged to pay you. It is stipulated. You know, these, these companies stipulate, Google in particular stipulate, that the only legal liability they have for you in terms of stock is to pay you one penny. One penny. Why is this? Very simply. People have to understand this. The stock market is valued at $30 trillion, but you know what? It only has something like $3.8 trillion in cash. How could an institution be valued at $30 trillion but only have $3.8 trillion in cash? It's a, because it's a Ponzi scheme. I hope people understand that, and I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Brother Anthony, when you read this paper, what a rig economy looks like, what would you say? Yeah, I concur with all the points that Brother Haki made, and would I would add that uh, add that just because the stock market is doing well does not mean uh, the economy is doing well, and, and, and people get, and, and, and people tend to get that confused a lot. Also, they think that because uh, you you know uh, stock prices are high, the economy is doing well. But when you have uh, officially millions of people out of work, and uh, and that's an undercount because of the way uh, unemployment is measured inside the U.S., 
is based upon the number of open unemployment claims. In other words, those people who exhausted their unemployment benefits but have not found employment before the benefits ran out aren't counted as being unemployed. So that's one of the tricks they do with the, with the unemployment statistics that people need to be aware of, and uh, and and the and and uh, and the economy's right because uh, because uh, one of the the thing I took from this was uh, you know a robust stock market does not mean that, uh, that 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 people as a whole are doing well. Doesn't mean that it has no relation. It means only means that the major corporations are doing well, but not the people. And brother Maurice, what a rig economy look like to you? One one part I concur with with what the uh, previous panelists stated, but one part of the article that they, uh, that that attracted me or gained my attention was uh, what when Eric Levitt of the New York Magazine. Stated that uh, he was talking about uh, e-commerce and he was talking about robots um, eroding the you know the workers um, taking you know taking place of, of real human beings working. Um, it was it, he was saying that basically how I interpreted that due to this uh, situation of the e-commerce um, uh, e-commerce uh, era, people was lo- you, you know uh, was basically losing losing their jobs prior prior to the corona. Coronavirus uh, pandemic, and that this is true because when you go into grocery stores, you only see you know you don't. I mean, prior to this uh, virus, or even present, you, you see one or two uh, cashiers, and you'll have this self checkout line. Um, when I go in these stores, most of the times I try to avoid going into the city self checkout lane and going to the clerk, to the person's clerk, so I can so I can you know we can have them still employed. But a lot of this stuff is taking over with e-commerce. Talked about Amazon. You know, Amazon causes us out of business. Everybody's ordering, Everybody's ordering. online. Yes, it, 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 it's probably more, it, it probably be more easy, accessible, and more easy uh, to go that way, just ordering online. But it really is drying up the workforce, the labor force. Uh, that's, that's part of the, part of, uh, part of, that's the part, one part of the article uh, that, that stuck out to me, but yes, I do concur um, with with the points that was made previously. But I just wanted to point out that point uh, by Eric Lapper. You know, brother Moses, this article I think it does an excellent job of the question of deception, how people have been deceived as to think about this economy. For for you, what a real economy look like to you based on this article. Yeah, uh, well, the article is pretty good. Uh, I, I just want to make a point about stocks. Uh, stocks are sort of like the lottery system. Uh, they have a life of their own. Uh, um, uh, they're bought and traded, et cetera. Uh, they don't have to be tied to the productive, productive process itself uh, uh, necessarily. They are instruments of finance capital, um Used to raise money, usually you know the company is raising money to to uh, invest in other in uh, other ventures or or you know it's short as a, of income or whatever it's in this business and it needs more money and so it issues stocks etc. Um, 
these are debt instruments uh, or financial instruments at least anyway. And it's sort of like Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I don't know if you're familiar with Bitcoin. All these all these instruments of finance capital which have occurred uh, sort of in the superstructure of, of of the of the the economic base of capitalism, the actual productive process <laughs> of capitalism, uh, where they're buying and making products and and services is the productive base. But this this superstructure of uh, of uh, financial capital instruments, stocks and bonds, etc. Uh, they they uh, they ha- they are almost like a confidence game, a con game almost. Uh, except they've been around so long that people have accepted them, and it's like the dollar bill. People have accepted that it has value in it, and so it continues. Uh, 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 there's no crisis uh, because because people have confidence, and that's um, trading and clipping coupons and uh, playing the lottery and all that's It's just gambling, and that's that's really the essence of what the stock market is all about. And that's why uh, in socialist society, it's usually not necessarily. Uh, although I think uh, uh, anyway, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. In closing, panelists, I'd like for y'all to respond to this question. As one read this article, it raised a fundamental question, again, around this question of destruction and deception. If the stock market has no relationship to the economy, why are we constantly hearing the narratives that we must bail the stock market out and spending money to them and has no relationship to the economy? Because it's a Ponzi scheme. That's why they're telling you the, the, the stock market is an intimate part of the financial sector. It's not. It has nothing to do in terms of business activity. So when poor people invest their money in the stock market, they think they're going to get rich. It's just a pipe dream. It's like Brother Mark or Brother Moses says, you know, it's, it's, it's really gambling because they're, the odds are rigged against you. And so the reason why they, 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 they glamorize the stock market because the wealthy understand how the game is played. It's poor people don't understand how the game is played. Otherwise, if you stop and think about how is it the, the stock market continue goes up, even though you got tremendous amount of unemployment, uh, no jobs are not functioning, so there's no money flowing through the system. So where is the capital coming from? So clearly, you know, uh, so when you invest in this, you're, you're, you know, the, the company is not paying paying their the company is not paying what they earn what they what they make what they earn to pay off the people who uh, who who in, who are in need of dividends. The, the the company get their money from other from investors competing against one another, and so who, he who is he or she who is clever enough to sell at a particular time gets to reap gains to reap the, the benefits. One of the reasons why they encourage people to stay in the stock market because the people, the analysts, the, the stockbrokers understand it's all part of a con, and so therefore that's why they encourage you don't you know don't sell don't sell you know just keep going keep keep going it's gonna go up it's gonna go up it's gonna go up, you know it's all a con game. But the reason why they glamorize Wall Street is because it's a Ponzi scheme, and I'll close with that. Brother Anthony, your response? Yes. Um, I think, uh, think something to bear in mind is the fact that the, the, the lifestyle of the capitalist countries, it occurs at the expense of exploiting 
uh, the resources of the poor countries of the world. In other words, the reason, the, the one of the key reasons why this Ponzi scheme scheme works is because the capitalists capitalists uh, bleed the resources and labor off of the poor countries of the world, such as Africa, Asia, South and Central America, and the Caribbean. That's who subsidizes uh the uh the wealth of the capitalist countries. So Maurice, uh the people can play where the rich can pay. Definitely. Um I would urge our listeners and and, 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 and uh panel panel if if you're not familiar with the poem uh poem by uh poet E. E. Cummins he had a he had a poem uh, uh, titled "Pity This Busy Monster Man and Kind," and he metaphorically, from my interpretation of reading the poem, speaks about this, this busy monster. <laughs> you know, metaphorically speaking about what we talking about capitalism. Yes, people are being we are being played, and why they are getting paid. You know, like Bit like like uh, uh Brother Moses spoke about Bitcoin. Bit Bitcoin is a sham. It's, it's, it's legal shield is a sham. I mean. You know all these, all these, all of these schemes, get rich Ponzi schemes, and that we got to stop. I mean, as as a people, um, we got to stop looking for for schemes. I feel like we have to get back to what Booker T. Washington was stating, man, using our hands to create our own, to develop our, our own wealth, not 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 uh, dependent on these Ponzi schemes or or investing in in, in stocks and bonds or whatever, what have you. I don't even I, I don't know why we have interest in stocks and bonds, but stocks and bonds. Was model off of our ancestors being enslaved. They were they, they was the first uh, means of a stocks and bonds. So basically, man, we have to get back to uh, we have to stop being played, and we have to get back to using our hands, creating things, developing things, um, that sort of nature. Uh, labor, working together, uh, communal aspect. Uh, you know, we have to get back to that. We have to socialize our labor, man, and work together. But as for like Ponzi scheming and and uh, um, depending on on these get rich quick uh, game system, good night, <laughs> good night. You get you're going to continue to get played if you keep playing that game. So I conclude with that. Again, brother Moses, for those of our listening audience who have not read this article, what a rigged economy looks like. We would like to give a little taste of what's in it, and I would just like for you to give your final thoughts on this article before we do our closing. It says that that we could lose 20 million jobs in April, and the stock market could have its best month in over 30 years. Demonstrate just how utterly disconnected the market is from reality. Then it goes on and says, "Wow, a record of 20.5 million Americans lost their job, and one third." Other people were unable to pay their rent or mortgage by the end of last month. The stock market in April enjoyed its strongest month since 1987. Again, supporting the common critique that Wall Street wealth is not the same as economic health. You'll find it to us for this for tonight, Brother Moses, on this article. 
Well, it seems, you know, we have to understand that, you know, people are trying to make money. These capitalists are trying to make money. They're trying to buy cheap and sell dear. And, um, you know, the stock market is one place, one field of, of activity that they can do. They can try to make money in. Uh, the companies need companies issue stocks in order to raise capital to to uh, expand their business or or, or shore uh, shore up their business. Uh, and they need so the, the stock. You know, we understand why they would issue stock, uh, but you know, the, after they issued it, it's, it has a life of its own. Uh, uh, they might pay dividends every now and then, depending on depending on whether they want to try to attract more people to buy their stock or not. Ultimately, uh, it's all geared towards making money, and uh, it's, it's, there's no there's no um, philosophic uh, um, motivation to issuing stock, and so you know we just have to accept that. Uh, I. I I'm having a hard time remembering all the details of the article. I I did read the article, but I so I feel like I'm off point. But uh, thank you anyway. All right, brother Moses, you're on point. And on that point, we're gonna take a rubstring break, and when we come back, panelists and this, I'd like to hear each one of y'all summation for tonight's program, which is part one of two part series. Capitalism, brain, destruction, and reception. We'll be right back. You listen to Africa on <laughs> the pool. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine Palestine. needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine. needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine. Needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs there seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live, so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom. Take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine. Palestine. Needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine. needs our love. love. People of all countries 
of every race and creed. We need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. This is the first part of the two-part series titled Capitalism Brain Destruction and Deception. We now go back to our panelists and this for the night. And we ask each one of them to get their final summation on today's program. Brother Moses, your final thoughts the summation for tonight. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's been a great show. Um, um, as usual, there's good information being distributed, and, uh, and uh, I hope that people use it in the struggle uh, and find that that is the guide to action. Um uh, Certainly, you know, like there is a theoretical struggle, the economic struggle, and the political struggle, and we should be participating on all fronts. Uh, I'll look forward to it next week. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, and to your insightful contribution that you bring every week. We thank you. Next, Brother Hackey, your final thoughts for the night. Yeah, uh, P.T. Barnum said there's a sucker born every minute. Uh, one of the things you got to understand is some fundamental real changes going play, taking place. A lot of these changes are, are suspect, uh, particularly when you start talking about um, trade embargoes against countries that uh, only can serve uh, to undermine your economy. When you continue to make those kind of moves, then clearly economics is not your consideration and there's something else going on. I suspect that has a lot to do in terms of the willful destruction of the economy simply because that's the only way for the U.S. to get out of debt. It's the only way to reaffirm, you know, it's, uh, or reestablish, you know, its lead in terms of its hegemony because the ruling class desperately wants to be in a position to control the world. And historically that's been the case, but that has slipped away. Iran is not, is not no longer the leading power in the world. And so clearly they're just from desperation. Now, for the African community, what we have to understand is that in, in case of, and, and when we talk about this desperation in terms of the ruling class, we figure prominently in terms of their plan. So tactically, one of the things that they have to do in terms of if there's any possibility of survival, they must facilitate some plan by which the destruction of African people is assured. It gives them some breathing room. It gives them opportunity in terms of, to, to, to further strategize in terms of trying to we establish control of the world. So we we so in terms of history, we are pivotally located in terms of you know a lot of these um, strategies and tactics that are taking place in society in the society. My my position my my position is that we have to wake up and understand that this is real. Even if you think what I'm saying is BS, uh, it doesn't hurt in terms of preparing for the worst. And we got I mean we really don't have a choice. And as always, I encourage people you know to unravel the matrix. Because that is the key in terms of understanding the insanity that permeates the society. Thank you, Brother Haki. And Brother Anthony, your summation for today's program. Okay. Um, capitalism has many methods of uh, deception, and um, 
and 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 misleading people and uh, and destroying uh you know societies and uh and in order to counter that we have to get better organized and politically educated as a people and uh it's it's crucial that Africans join an organization that's working for the people's liberation that's guided by political uh, revolutionary ideology. And Brother Anthony, can you talk just a little bit about and remind the people about upcoming African Liberation Day? Certainly. Yes, we are the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, in conjunction with the National Council of Arab Americans, is organizing African Liberation Day slash Palestine not by day, on May 23rd, 2020, uh, from 12 noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find out more information by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org, or calling us at 202-246-4896. And we'd like to thank all our panelists, analysts, our listening audience, and our friends and supporters for allowing us to come to your home this evening to speak truth to power and remind you that this is a weekly program dedicated to um, providing information so that, so that you can think clearly and to introduce you to various organizations so you have opportunities of finding one of them where you can join help move our people forward as well as humanity. If you have any comments or questions on this program or others, feel free to email us at africaonthemove2@gmail.com. You can hear past programs by going to Blog Talk Radio at Archive and write in Africa on the Move and you can view and share this program. So remember, Without information, you cannot thank. Without organization, you cannot thank clearly. Please join the organization. You're doing something to advance or to alleviate the suffering of your people. Imagine. Until next time, we leave you with this song. As long as you are And if you come from 
Let's live.